Today's lesson is taken from 1 Samuel, chapter 25, selected texts. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Thus you shall salute him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your sight, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. But Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants today who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have butchered for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. David sent to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every one of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he shouted insults at them. Then Abigail hurried and took 200 loaves, two skins of wine, five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs. She loaded them on donkeys and said to her young men, Go ahead of me, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and alighted from the donkey and fell before David on her face. Bowing to the ground, she fell at his feet and said, Upon me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. My lord, do not take seriously this ill-natured fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you, who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has judged the case of Nabal's insult to me and has kept back his servant from evil. The Lord has returned the evil doing of Nabal upon his own head. Then David sent and wooed Abigail to make her his wife. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In this uncharted series, we've examined what it looks like to live in the wilderness. Because, my friends, in this season, we don't have all the answers. In fact, oftentimes, we haven't even been able to formulate the right questions. But over the last couple of weeks, we've learned a lot about what it looks like to be faithful, even fruitful, in the uncharted land. As we shared a couple of times throughout this series, this series was loosely based on a book called Canoeing the Mountains. It's a fantastic book. 
If you are leading in any way at all, I recommend that book to you. And as we've also discussed, the the chief metaphor for this book is the journey of Lewis and Clark as they tried to locate an overland passage to the Pacific Ocean. Towards the end of their journey, Lewis and Clark found themselves hopelessly lost. They had no idea what direction they should go and how to navigate appropriately. They were lost, but their guide was not. A woman remembered by history as Sacagawea. A Native American who helped guide Lewis and Clark overland to the Pacific Ocean. She was integral to the success of the mission. In fact, she's the reason we have a record today of Lewis and Clark's journey. At one point during their their travels, their canoe capsized, and their records, their journals started to float down the river. It was Sacagawea who jumped in and saved them. Lewis and Clark were blessed to have a guide. And in this, our final installment of our Uncharted series, I want to invite us to think about one of the greatest gifts that God gives us in the wilderness God gives us guides. These guides sent by our great God are there to help us choose the right path. They're there to help us find courage. And today, as we examine some some stories in the Bible about various guides that God sent to people to help them make the right choices, to help them find courage, I also want to encourage us to keep a question in the back of our minds. Have we been paying attention to the guides that God has placed along our path? Let's jump right in. Our scripture passage today is not a terribly familiar passage. But it tells the story of a man named Nabal and his wife, Abigail. Nabal lived in close proximity to the Israelite people and, in truth, had been grazing his sheep on Israelite land When David finds out about this, David, rather than take insult, decides to try and build an allegiance. So he sends out messengers to Nabal. He says, you've been grazing on our land. Let us come and enjoy some of the fruits of your labor. In other words, let us come over and have dinner with you. Nabal receives the request from David, and his response is not exactly respectful. So, When the messenger gets from Nabal back to David and David hears Nabal's disrespectful response, David says to his men, strap on your swords. And you might be saying to yourself, that seems like an overreaction. That one might go to war, kill somebody for not inviting you to dinner. Enter Abigail, Nabal's wife. She had enough sense to know that you should not intentionally anger the king. And so she loads up provisions and sets off while David is still a long distance away. She intercepts him on the road, falls down to the ground, offers her offering and her apologies for the insults her husband has hurled. Now, David had two options. He could disregard her, or he could take those offerings, that apology, that humility to heart. That's exactly what he does. And it changes things. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 32. David said to Abigail, 
Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to meet me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. I want to notice two things. First, in verse 32, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. My brothers and sisters, we're not making this up. God sends guides into our lives. The Bible tells us it happens. That's the first thing. God does that. Second, look at what Abigail, through her guidance, helped David avoid. He said, you have kept me today from blood guilt. There are times in our lives that God sends guides along our path to help us avoid mistakes and choose the right branch of the trail ahead. There's no doubt that God sent Abigail to David. And no doubt she helped him choose a faithful path. Eventually, they end up getting married. If we look at a couple of more examples together like this, I think we'll start to see a couple of trends. Someday, I hope somebody makes a feature-length motion picture out of the story of Ittai the Gittite. I know. I know what you're saying. Ittai the Gittite. Who, who's that? Well, Ittai the Gittite was a Philistine. And if you'll remember from Scripture, the Philistines during the time of David were their great, great enemies. In fact... Goliath, the giant from Gath, was himself a Philistine. Well, at one point in King David's life, one of the lowest points I would imagine in his life, David's son Absalom incites a rebellion. He tries to overthrow his father's reign. I can't imagine how hard that must have been for King David. And Absalom's rebellion actually gained some traction to the point that At one moment, David and his loyal men have to flee from the capital of Jerusalem. And as they are preparing to make their retreat, David looks around and he sees this guy, Ittai the Gittite. And David says to Ittai, Ittai, what are you doing here? This isn't your war. You're not one of us. You can go home. You can be safe. You don't have to die in our battle. I want you to hear what Ittai the Gittite says back to King David, David in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 21. By the way, when they make this into a feature-length motion picture, this is going to be the scene for the trailer. David says, go away. It's not your fight. It's not your battle. And Ittai the Gittite answered the king, as the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives... Wherever my Lord the King may be, whether for death or for life, there also your servant shall be. It may cost my life, but I'm with you. Eventually, David will thwart Absalom's rebellion. 
But Ittai's brief appearance in Scripture reminds us that sometimes, in the midst of our darkest moments, God places a guide to help us find hope and to remind us that we are never alone. One final story. This one takes place in Exodus chapter 1, where we hear of two amazing women named Shifra and Puah. All cards on the table. I talked about Shifra and Puah in the spring of 2018. I preached about them. So you may remember their story, or you may be familiar with it from reading the book of Exodus. But apparently, I approached Shifra and Puah with such verve that our illustrious executive director here at Ebenezer Church felt it necessary to make me a t-shirt that said Shifra and Puah fan club for my birthday. Shifra and Puah are actually amazing, amazing women and examples of faithfulness in the scripture. The Hebrew children had been enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. And one day, the king, Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at that time, calls these two Hebrew midwives, Shifra and Puah, into his chambers. He says, I'm worried about how large the contingency of Hebrews has become in our country. And so here's my instruction to you. Each time that a Hebrew child is born, I want you to kill him. Shifra and Puah leave the king's chambers, finding themselves in an impossible predicament. They've just been commanded by the most powerful man on the planet to commit infanticide. So what do they do? They resist. They refused to kill any of the Hebrew children. And when Pharaoh called them back into his presence and asked them why they hadn't done what he'd asked them to do, here's what Shifra and Puah had to say. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Notice what they do. Not only are they making an excuse for why they didn't obey Pharaoh's command, but in the course of doing so, they insult the Egyptian women, straight to, Hebrew, to, to Pharaoh's face. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwife comes. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. One of the children's lives who was saved because of the work of Shifra and Puah was a little boy named Moses who, of course, one day would lead God's people to their liberation. Sometimes God places guides in our path to help protect us and to help inspire us to embrace a new future. One of these three guides, Abigail, kept David from doing something foolish. Another, Ittai the Gittite, reminded the king he was not alone in a moment of great distress. Shifra and Puah, through their tremendous courage, helped bring about the freedom of their people. God places in our paths the guides that we need at the moments we need them while we are in our wilderness experiences. 
But I don't only want us to see that guides exist. Today I want us to think about the fact that oftentimes the guides aren't who we expect. Because note this. These guides, none of them were in a position to truly and significantly influence the world around them, or so we would tell ourselves. But Abigail, a female at a time in the world where she was considered the property of her husband, helped keep David out of a war. Ittai, the Gittite, was a foreigner. Shifra and Pua were slaves. Yes, God sends guides in the midst of the uncharted land, but oftentimes the guide God sends my way is not the guide I would expect. Not the one I would anticipate. I mean, they can be. Sometimes they'll look like us and talk like us. They could be our parents or our children or our spouses or our classmates or our co-workers, but sometimes God sends what, what we would never expect. Someone with whom I have an old disagreement. Someone for whom I've in the past possessed prejudices based on the way they look or think or their political party or where they're from or whatever. Church, I had this happen to me. I had a guide in my life and I almost missed her gift. Her wisdom. I grew up in the evangelical tradition and I'm so grateful for so much of that. The, the way that I was loved in the midst of that church. The way that scripture was so clearly taught. I learned a lot about the depth of faith in that environment. But one of the things that was true in the church I, I grew up in, the church of origin for me, was that women were never allowed to be senior leaders. From a young age, I felt called to be a pastor. And when I got to college, I walked into my first class that would prepare me for this lifelong vocation, and I met there Dr. Cowan, Reverend Dr. Peggy Cowan. She had her doctorate from Vanderbilt University, and she was my professor of Old Testament, the first professor I would have as I prepared for this lifelong vocation. In that environment... Though she was a devout Presbyterian, in that environment, she shared perspectives of the Bible, asked honest questions that oftentimes I could not answer. There were times I came face to face with these questions and I doubted my call to ministry. If I'm being completely honest with you, there were times I doubted whether or not she should have a role in helping to educate me. I was 18 years old, and so, of course, I had all the answers, right? What happened in time is that Dr. Cowan unlocked the Bible for me. She didn't do it alone, and she didn't do it just for me. She became one of my guides, and I never saw it coming. And I am not proud of the prejudices that existed inside of me at that time. But God, God used her mightily in my life. 
So I ask you now, in this moment, in this season, are there voices in your life you've overlooked? People God has been trying to use to rescue, to lead. But perhaps we were too proud or too aloof to see them. Yeah, maybe some of the guides God sends will look just like us and think just like us. Some will be those we never expected. One of the things I've learned often, because I've heard it frequently at the Global Leadership Summit, an element we engage here at Ebenezer Church every year, every August, is a sentiment that good leaders learn from everyone. Has God placed guides in your life? Perhaps you failed to see them for who they are. The future of our world is going to look different than the past. And perhaps that's such an obvious statement that it doesn't need to be made, yet I feel like one of the sins sometimes committed by the church is to believe that the only faithful way is the way of yesterday. One tremendously important lesson we learn in the wilderness is that we cannot get where God is leading us to until we are willing to let go of where God is leading us from. Listen for the guides. They may not look like what we expect. They may come from quarters that we had not anticipated. Yet, as God's emissary, they will help save us from ourselves. They'll remind us that we are not alone and there is hope. They'll inspire us. Help us dream about a new future. In the midst of the series, we've explored how to faithfully and fruitfully navigate the uncharted land. Essentially, this series has been about clarifying what we know. We know that our God is at work, leading us from what has been to what shall be and sustaining us every step of the way. We know that we're not doing this alone, that there are others in the boat with us. We know that we need great clarity around our mission, who we are, what we're called to do, what it is that breaks our hearts and God's heart. And today we've learned, because we see it in Scripture, And if we pay attention, we see it in our own lives. When we found ourselves lost, find ourselves uncharted, find ourselves in the wilderness, God sends a guide. Maybe one we never expected, but a guide to help lead us into that bright and beautiful promise of tomorrow. As we conclude this series, I want to note that for many of us, this has been a tremendously anxious time. 
As I noted at the beginning, my initial remarks today, we don't have all the answers and sometimes we can't even hazard a guess the questions. My brothers and sisters, I would encourage us simply to remember this. God is with us. On the mountaintops, in the valleys low, and yes, in the midst of the uncharted wilderness. Thanks for joining with us in this study. I hope you'll tune in next week as we begin our new series about the book of Jonah. About a guy who wanted to do anything but what God called him to do. It's called the reluctant prophet. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that you would never leave us alone. That you've sent your blessed Holy Spirit to nurture us and sustain us, to lead us and guide us. And we thank you for your leadership in all seasons of our lives, but especially in this one. But beyond that, oh God, we thank you for the ways in which you have nurtured us and guided us through the wisdom, the leadership, and the courage of others. We ask, oh God, for your vision to see the guides that you would place along our path. We ask for the hope to see a bright, beautiful tomorrow. And we thank you, O oh God, for in you, there is no doubt about what the future holds. The future is a place of tremendous hope because the future is governed by you. In the name and to the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.